shape it into something. Like it just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like something primitive or what, but you just, I enjoy it. Um, so we're taking a look at different times in the Bible that God has either, you know, literally shown up in fire or put somebody through that trial by fire to show what their faith was like. Um, and so for the last couple of weeks, we've been in Exodus. Um, the first week we looked at the burning bush, um, and then we hit, I think then we hit the snow week. And um, so I debated about what to do. Do I, you know, just knock them out, or do I, like, keep going uh, further into whenever than I had planned? And I'm so glad I didn't drop them, um, because the next one was on Mount Sinai, receiving the uh, Ten Commandments, and this one, uh, this evening, it's just been one of those ones that since the beginning, like, I've just felt excited about it, like, there's something good to be mined here, um, and maybe that's just from the fact that even though um, the key of what we're looking at tonight is really only, like, two verses, there's so much to unpack in those two verses about what it means for us, um, what we can draw from it, and what God wanted to show us. So we are still in Exodus, um, but this time I went a little out of order because we're somewhere between the burning bush and Mount Sinai right now. Um, we're still in that time in the desert um, when he's led the people out of Egypt, but they haven't crossed the Red Sea. They haven't went um, into the wilderness yet. They're still in that middle room, and that's where God meets them. So let's take a look um, at those first uh, those couple of verses we're really going to be keying in on tonight. Um, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And they But the more you look at this, the cooler it gets and how much God moved in this pillar of fire um, and the way that he led his people through this. Uh, there, right in 13, um, the next chapter will be the parting of the Red Sea. And this pillar will move through the sea with them. And when they reach the other side, God's speaking and moving from that pillar to close the sea back in on Pharaoh's armies. So, this thing's not just like a handy guide, although if it did just that, it would be cool, but it helps fight for them. But I do want to focus kind of on it as the guide of the people and how closely they had to follow this thing. Because it really was, if it moves, you move. If it stays, you stay. Alright? So we're kind of going to look at three big uh, sections here of things to pull out of those two verses. And the first one is about moving when he moves. Right? Because this is how God worked with the Israelites as they kept wandering through the desert. You know, I'm sure at some point people think that they had to have been complaining, Moses, you're just leading us in circles. Well, but they were following God the whole time. He's teaching them for 40 years, day after day. You need to sit still when I tell you to. You need to move when I tell you to. Because there's good things to go here. And they had to closely follow that. And so he would have them camp in this one place. They'd get up all the tents. They'd set up their you know, temporary uh, tabernacle. And they'd 
get everything ready and they live there and then they wouldn't know the next day when they get up. Is God going to get up? Is he going to go? Is he going to say it's time? Or are we going to stay here for two months? They had to wait and depend on him. Now as we start to do that, and as we start to look at how we can move when he moves, one of the ways that you can do this is to join in what he's already doing. So when you're looking around, kind of in the community, if you see something big that God's doing, join in, because that's a really easy way to move when he's moving. If it's something big that's happening, and you can see God's behind it, but you fight it anyway, see a certain mission, a certain ministry, a soup kitchen, a whatever this is that's going on, and you're like, man, there's no way. They are pulling that off on their own. God is behind us. That's a good time. It's what you call low-hanging fruit. It's easy just to slide in there, and you're already working with God on something he's clearly already decided is important. Following him, you know, those seasons change. We have to figure out, okay, is this one of those times he's got me moving this direction? You know, is, is this one of those times he wants me to move with this or with this? Because there will be two or three good things he's doing, and we wear ourselves out trying to do everything good all at once. So we've got to carefully think about that. And we're going to get to that part. Um, there's something about that idea of Excitement um, of God moving that makes you feel like you want to be a part of it. Um, most of you that know me well enough know obsessed with C.S. Lewis and Narnia and all that. Okay, one of the best lines in the language of the wardrobe. Um, the kids are over at the Beaver's house. They're just now um, kind of finding out all about the prophecies about them and this and that. They don't even know who Aslan is yet, but they're asked about, well, isn't there any hope? Mr. Beaker says, of course there's hope. Aslan is on the move. You know, and I love it in the movie because you can look around at the kids' faces. Not necessarily that set of faces. Because I couldn't find the exact moment, but as he's saying this to them, Aslan is on the move. They don't have a clue who he is, but there's this excitement. You can see it. They can feel the hope simply because they're being told that Aslan is moving. And that's what brings us up is when we can feel like God is moving, God is doing something, he's not just sitting idly by. We find hope in that. And there are examples all throughout Scripture where God does this, where he just tells people, go. Sometimes it's clearly go here or go do this. Sometimes it's just go. Um, Abraham in Genesis 12, poor Abraham doesn't get very clear directions here. He just is told Get up, leave everything you know. I want you to go. No map, no plan. Just trust me. Let's go. I'm somebody that likes clear directions. Um, I would need a little bit more than that. I, I know I would. But I would hope that at some point my brain would click and say, wait a minute. God's moving and he's saying, come with me. Do it. Joseph, not the one with the coat of many colors, Jesus' dad. Uh, separate the two of them here, but in Matthew 2, 
he gets several of these messages in order to protect young Jesus. God shows up and has an angel tell him, you need to go to Egypt to get this kid safer. Now it's safe for you to return to Nazareth. He gives him those directions of, you need to go here, stay there, now come back. Paul has one of these visions in Acts 16 of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he has that real clear direction of, this is where God wants me to go. Which is funny because in that same couple of paragraphs, it talks about where he wanted to go. And he tried to go in and God said, nope. Um, it's great. I, I love that scripture. He says, I intended to go here, but I was stopped by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't life be a little bit more easy? If the, I, I want to know what this looked like. I want to get this visual of Paul trying to go into this place. And then the Holy Spirit just redirecting him. I want to see how that works. Like I said, I'm just that person. I like clear direction. I don't like the you know miscommunication and the God. Is that really what you meant? Is, is that it? Like, am I hearing you right? I need to know. And so I got to think about well, how do we know which He's telling us? And maybe this seems oversimplified, but at the end of the day, Scripture and prayer are the best answers here. This comes down to what we talked about at the Sinai part last week of seeking what God has to tell us, of honestly, earnestly just wanting to know what he says to us. And this comes in in a couple of ways, because prayer is not just talking at God, it's listening for what he's going to tell us. But the scripture part, the thing is, God is not going to move in a way that's not consistent with scripture. In other words, if you're asking yourself, is this God moving, or is this what I want? And you go here, and this points clearly to, that's not how God works. That should be a hint. Now the key to that is we have to know what's in here to know how to check it. Okay? But when we take the time, and we study this, we get this clear picture God's character, and would he do this? Is this really how he moves, or is this not? And we start asking ourselves and saying, all right, I'm a little confused. Let's look at this. And we start praying. God, help me find the answers. And you read through it, and you find a verse, and it's like, no, either that's not God, or that's very clearly how God spoke in this situation. Am I ignoring something? And you can pick up on it.
they still complained about what they had to eat and this, and we're going in circles, and they, even with that visible pillar of fire, they have their doubts. So how do you know about staying when he stays? I'll tell you that where you are is not an accident. God puts us in places and times and environments for a reason. Whether that's the school you're in, the city you happen to live in, the state you were born in, the country we were born in, there is purpose behind it. There is a reason we're there. Um, I don't even remember what the song was the other day, um, but there was this beautiful lyric. I, I feel like I've listened to this song a hundred times, and it just kind of stuck out to me this week. It said, God doesn't make accidents and he didn't start, he's not going to start with me. So where you are, even if you think you're miserable, God has you there for a reason. Now I think there is that fine line where maybe if you're miserable, it's God saying, hey, move. Okay? <laughs> but you have that time where you're in that place for a reason and you seek it out. Um, I was led back to um, a book I've read before um, called Not a Fan by Kyle Bottom. Um, if you've not read it, it's a really good one about not just you know, being a fan of Jesus, but being completely obsessed. Um, and in it, he was talking about this scripture. Um, stuck out to me years ago in one of those kind of weird ways. Um, it's actually in Exodus. It's chapter 21. The reason I always remember that is it's the chapter right after the Ten Commandments. Um, and there's this weird section. It's one of those ones that you think, how in the world does this apply to us? Because it's about slaves and how to treat them. And see, in that society, it wasn't the same as, you know, America 1800s and slavery. We, we kind of had this skewed uh, side on it. Because in their culture, many people chose that life. Many people went into that as a way to actually better themselves. They weren't the lowest social class. You could go up the ladder by working your time. Now, God had actually also given them the command that, like, every seven years, let everybody go. Start fresh. But there were some people who would know that they had been treated so well by the master they say, I don't want to go anywhere. Um, they would choose to stay there. Let me read this. Hold on. Let me finish explaining. Sorry. Getting ahead of myself here. But I'm, I, love, I love what he I love an Exodus, the explanation of what to do with that slave. Because there was actually physical markings of, I've chosen this for life. Um, if you haven't read this part before, uh, that slave who had chosen said, my master has treated me so well, and I have these reasons that I want to stay. I am choosing to be a slave for the rest of my life. The instructions in the Bible, you take them to the doorpost and pierce their ear with a wooden awl. Nobody really thought about ears being pierced. 
that symbol of I've chosen slavery. So if I ever show up with my ears pierced, that's what it means. Sorry, Mama, I thought about it. But I, because I've always loved that, I've loved that there's just this physical marking of I know that my master treats me so well that this is a symbol to the whole world. I am choosing to stay there. Because as he described it, I mean, don't let me romanticize it by saying that it wasn't as bad as the American slave system. It still wasn't good. He said, a slave has no rights. A slave has no possessions to call their own. A slave in Jesus' day didn't even have a personal identity. A slave doesn't get, all, get time off or get to clock out at the end of the day. A slave doesn't get to negotiate. But slave is the way many of the followers of Christ introduce themselves. When Peter began 2 Peter, he didn't introduce himself by saying, Peter, a best friend of Jesus, I was there at the transfiguration. He simply says, Simon Peter, a slave to Christ. John, Timothy, Jude, James, they all do this. Paul does this. He introduces himself at the beginning of his letters as a slave of Christ Jesus. Even though knowing full well people would look down on themselves for calling themselves that, they chose that. They knew that that's where they were going to hang out. Their identity was in that. And I just, I love that's one of those times when people had the freedom, they had the ability that if they wanted to run off, they could, they could change their life, go somewhere different, but they, now, here's the time to stay. Now, the other examples throughout the scriptures, we do see other times when God, you know, gives those instructions to those people. Like I was saying with um, Joseph, it wasn't just the, hey, you need to get up and go to Egypt. He told him how long to stay there. He said, I'll come back and tell you when it's time to move again. Um, Paul, again, in Acts 18, you know, a couple chapters ago, he wanted to go one place. Holy Spirit said no. And so he sent him where he wanted to go. And I believe it was Corinth that he came to. And there was so much opposition. He was ready to bail out and leave town. That night he had a vision where God said, nothing's going to happen to you. Stay put. And so the Bible just very plainly says he stayed there 18 months. Now, Paul's a traveling missionary. You don't stay anywhere very long. But he got that message from God saying, stay put. And he stayed there as long as he needed to. Um, here's the thing. Everybody will get a different answer to this. Because we start looking at the scriptures and we look at um, where the command is given and there will be witnesses Jesus. Okay? And it says, um, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you start actually looking at that on the map, it's like it starts there in the center where they all were and moves outward. God's going to give that different command. Some people, he's going to send them to the end of the earth. Some people, it may be Samaria. Which for them, that was the people they didn't like and they didn't really want to go minister to them. But they were told to move there anyway. Some of them is Judea. Okay, so you know, think about that in our terms. I don't know. I don't want to pick a Samaria and make somebody mad here. But just imagine somewhere you don't like and God's saying go minister there. Um, 
Judea would be like, okay, you're allowed to stay in Virginia, but you gotta move around a little bit. Judea would, I mean, Jerusalem, that would be coming. It, you know, Clifton, wherever, it would be your school, it would be your workplace, this is where you are right now. God would clearly tell some people, stay here, you have a mission to do here. And I know many of you, you have those questions right now. Um, the music in your head is the 1980s clash. Should I stay or should I go now? Like, but I can't give you that easy answer because it's something you have to search out in Scripture. You have to figure out, is God moving in this way or is this one of those times he camps out and waits for me to learn something? But in the meantime, the third point from this, I want to go back to that Scripture again because there's something very important at the end. After it describes how the pillar, a cloud, a fire, you know, it would move or it would stay. There's this other important line. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. He never left them. No matter what they were going through, when the Red Sea split, they had to go through, when they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, he never left them. So here's one of the cool things is they kept reminding themselves of that truth. Because when you start looking um, throughout the scriptures for that pillar of cloud and fire, there's all these other times in the scriptures where they're going back over what's happened in their past, reminding themselves, here's all the times God showed up and he was faithful to me in the past. Here's all the times he treated me really well for me to remember where he's taking me. Whatever they're working on next, whether it's the moving or the staying, they reminded themselves, here's how I've seen God work in the past. Because knowing how he's answered you in the past on those questions can help you figure out the future. So one of them comes in Nehemiah 9. Now if you know about the book of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem here and kind of getting back their national identity as Israelites. Um, and Robert, I think I should have this scripture there somewhere. Um, here we go. Uh, on, this is in chapter 9. It says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. Like, you know, you can do the math on that. A quarter of a day, just standing there listening as the priest reads Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, then Deuteronomy, taking you back through the whole history of Israel. And then they spend just as much time confessing all the ways they messed that and then worshiping the Lord their God. And then it skips on down. It's been listing all these things God did for them. It says, you divided the sea before them, so they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone in the mighty waters. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the way they were to take. And even later on, after the Israelites have been through all of this, they're not led by that pillar anymore. Nehemiah's pointing back saying, remember, remember what's happened. Remember the way he was the light guiding them in the past. 
Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. It's just another reminder that he never left them. Because this is when it comes to the end of Moses' time. They've been following those pillars for the 40 years now, and it's time for Moses to go to heaven and for Joshua to take his place and lead the men. So Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Throughout the scriptures, as they kept reminding themselves of what God has done in the past, it gets mixed in with these promises of God's not going anywhere. One of the ones many of us have heard before is the end of Romans chapter 8. The great promise here that says, Now in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He never goes anywhere. He lights the path. Sometimes it's moved, sometimes it's stayed. But he gives us those guidelines to figure out his character and allows us to enter right into the to ask him personally, what in the world do I do? And he doesn't go anywhere. He waits not with us. Even if we think we're walking in circles, the pillar's still there, still loving us. No matter what's going on in your life, whether you can't figure out whether you're coming or going, staying, moving, decide what it is, where he's leading you. That's the one thing I just want to encourage you with. Is he's never left you. No matter what. You haven't driven him away. You haven't you know, ashamed him to the point that he no longer loves you. The scriptures promise over and over again. He's there. He's not going anywhere. So I was looking through that highlight in the book. One more thing I kind of want to read. And I want to use it in a way I haven't done in a while here. When is that time of invitation? Um, this is something a lot of churches do. We don't do it too terribly often. But I always want to give that opportunity that if somebody just needs prayer, needs to you know, realize that they aren't following Jesus like that, who wants to commit to, okay, pierce my ear. You know, metaphor there. Not literally. Can't do that for you. But if you just need to make that commitment, like I want to give that chance. So I'm going to read this and then I'd invite you to stand and say um, I know we don't usually close on the song either, but it seemed like a good opportunity to do it. And then I'll come up and pray us out. He said, I've discovered that the most common reason people give for not following Jesus is they want to get their lives together first. It sounds noble. Like you're taking the invitation of Jesus so serious, you want to wait to start following him until you get your life turned around and going in the right direction. But when Jesus invites you to follow him, his invitation comes to right where you are. 
He doesn't want you to wait until tomorrow in hopes that you will finally be heading down the right path. He wants you to say yes today, and he will lead you out of where you are now. Let's sing. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.